Hey everybody, welcome to the Metrology Today podcast. My name is Ryan, I am your host today, and I am excited to bring you an episode with the guest being Danae Powell. And I will introduce Danae Powell here in just a minute. We have a few beginning of the episode items of business. First and foremost, we have an exciting announcement in Sign. Sign Certified, our certification company, certification and testing company, is now officially live, has its own website. You can find that at www.signcertified.com. And this is the official launch of our certified metrology technician certification. And you can find out more information there. I won't take up um, too much time on that, but I wanted to make sure to get that announcement out there. Uh, please support our, our certification. And guess what? This also helps us coordinate certified technicians to you at your labs to try and help fill some of that hiring void that we keep talking about. But anyway, second thing, uh, we have actually a quick correction from our last episode with Mike when I was traveling in Denver. Uh, Jeff Gust, the chief metrologist at Fluke, reached out to me. Uh, as we all know, he was on season one of the podcast. He's a friend of the show. Um, he reached out just to make sure that there was uh, clarification where Mike, uh, right around the 40, right around the 48 minute mark, uh, Mike was talking about the pressure coefficient of resistors when you know they are taken to different altitudes and he happened to mention the fluke uh, 742 which jeff wanted to make sure that we knew that the 742s themselves do not have a pressure coefficient that is appreciable um, at anything notable over uh, a 5,000 feet of elevation change and he even went as far to have their lab do a quick experiment changing the pressures and everything and got some really good data I'm going to provide a little breakdown of that on the previous episode as soon as I get that typed up I'll make an announcement out there but uh, so that you can see what we're talking about uh, but going on and, and just clearing things up uh, Jeff assumes that he was talking about the 732s which are Zener reference standards which can be affected by pressure so more on that as we're as I release something attached to the previous episode but just wanted to clear that up and I offered to just mention something here in the beginning because I didn't want any bum information out there but it's still very interesting to note that uh, pressure does affect resistors because of strain and again we'll post something on the previous episode and I'll announce something about that later and so now on to Danae Powell. So I met Danae in the educators groups within CSLI as well as when she is working at a partnered lab. Uh, but Danae actually started her career in metrology in 1986 as a test measurement and diagnostics equipment technician or TMDE in the Marine Corps. Her background includes the alphabet soup of regulated industries to include DOD, FCC, FDA, uh, CGMP, DOE, uh, FAA, SAE, IATF, and NRC. Boy, I think I think that covers them all. Working in multiple industries and disciplines has given her the opportunity uh, to experience the field of metrology from many different perspectives. And she is also passionate about training the next generation. Um, we talk a lot about training whenever I, I'm chatting with her 
Uh, she's a big supporter of us, and she was also a, one of the board members uh, analyzing the test questions for our certification. So it really is fitting that this happens to be at the uh, the time that we're we're doing the announcement about the certification. So without further ado, let me stop talking about. Let's get to the the interview with Danae, and just like always, thank you for listening. Well, Danae Powell, once again, welcome to the podcast. Those of you that are tuning in don't don't know why we're saying once again, but it's been quite a process to get this technically figured out. So, Danae, so glad to have you on. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm very honored to be uh, invited. It is an honor to have you on. And uh, it's funny, I was, I've been traveling for the last two podcasts and then this time I'm at my home location and you're traveling. <laughs> yes. That seems to be that seems to be the the norm for this new new round of uh, whatever you call COVID. Right. <laughs> Everybody's always traveling. Yeah, Everything's re- remote or traveling. Relocating, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So Danae, uh, for those that don't know you, uh, would you mind introducing yourself and and telling us a little bit about what brought you to this crazy world of metrology? Okay, I would be glad to. So I started out my career in metrology totally by accident. And I know many have probably heard my my story before, but um, I joined the Marine Corps in 1984. And I actually did the delayed enlistment and I went in open electronics. Oh. And so when I when I actually got to um to boot camp. It was in February 1985, and it was South Carolina winter, and everybody had on their woolen caps, and I was from Alaska, and I was dying. I was like, what do you mean I have to wear this wool cap? Oh, wow, and yeah. so <laughs> that was the that was the start of my, my understanding of how things worked in the Marine Corps. And so from there, I went to 29 Palms. Again, a little hot for this Alaska girl, and... Um, <laughs> And it was while I was sitting in my basic electronics class watching the radio operators who were also go, you know, had finished basic electronics and had gone on to their secondary school that I saw these Marines humping through the desert with their radio packs and thinking, I'm going to die. My life as I know it has come to an end and I'm going to die. And at that point, I started looking for options outside of um, radio operator or oh yeah <laughs> some other um, basic electronics uh, career field so um, I actually my older sister was also a marine and she was in crypto and so I called her and I'm like what can I do and she recommended I ask if I could get into either calibration or crypto and anyway long story short I was told that since I was open enlistment and I wasn't guaranteed, the only way I could get the school of my choice was to graduate top of my class. And the rest, they say, is history. The rest is history. Like, I am not going to survive somewhere hauling a a radio on my back in the desert. (laughs) Of course, not knowing that not all marine bases are in the desert. But anyway, that's that's sort of how I got. So I, I graduated top of my class was um, uh, allowed to select, and I selected 
the TMD school only because of how long it was. And I was guaranteed to be air conditioned. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. And from there went on to my TMD school where I was fortunate to have some really good um, fellow students and, and instructors. And that's where I first met um, Jeff Gust. That's where I first met Joe Payne and a bunch of other no metrologists that yeah so um and from there after i i was i was in until 1990 when i got out and worked for the department of defense at the marine corps logistics base in albany and i married a marine <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> and then so my my career has e evolved over the years with a lot of transitions because being married to a Marine, you travel a lot, you move a lot. And of course, that's just, that's just the way it, it goes. Once, once you've started in that journey, everything looks greener on the other side. So I, I started out with a small commercial lab. Then I ended up um, getting told about an opportunity at GTE in Ontario, California, mm -hmm. went up there and worked again, worked again with Jeff Gust and some other fine metrologists up in Ontario, California. And, and then I went on and it's just been one wild ride after another. I worked in almost every industry that is governed by you know any kind of standard so sure. i worked dod doe um fcc i worked for motorola mobile devices for a while we did a lot of um work for uh, emi emc and metrology for fcc regulated work oh that's cool i didn't know of course, some of this stuff I, I i mean i've heard some of your career stuff but some of this stuff is even surprising me and i didn't how did i not know you were from alaska that's, yep. so, that's so weird. Born and raised. That's crazy. So it's, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And it, the, the one thing that I have learned over the years is that no matter what field you're in, no matter what industry, there is always an aspect of metrology that you're going to learn something new about. For sure. I, <laughs> <laughs> there is no, there is no super super metrologist out there I've, if so i haven't met him i've met a lot of great amazing metrologists but everything that metrology encompasses is so broad i mean mm -hmm. just everything from torque wrenches to radar equipment it's like when it seems to me I mean, like healthcare it seems to me like the, the higher um the higher people go in knowledge in specific areas, it kind of gets more focused as well. You know, not it, when you're saying no super metrologist, that's exactly what I see whenever I'm dealing with people that we consider, you know, the, some of the, the top metrologists in the world, they're focused in one discipline because it takes that much time to get that involved in the higher aspects of, a, of other disciplines. Exactly. And, and that's been my experience. Um, at one point I was, uh, you know, the SME for RF and microwave. And, it, you know, you, when you do that every day for, you know, for years and months and, and that's your expertise and that's what you're living, 
eating, breathing, sleeping. (laughs) You become an expert at that. And then all of a sudden someone asks you about, you know, calibrating pin gauges. And it's like, you got to go back to the book and say, oh yeah, physical dimensional. (laughs) That is metrology. You know, you're not concerned about, you know, SWR or anything (laughs) related to microwave or, or RF. The same with with all of the other fundamentals. There's so many disciplines. Even now, as I'm at Pacific Northwest National Labs, I'm finding myself learning again how much I don't know. <laughs> um, dealing with you know n- nuclear calibration, dosimetry, and um, radiation and irradiation, and the metrology that goes into to the work that we do specifically here at the National Lab. It's not your general purpose test equipment necessarily that <laughs> that's causing you to have problems with your uncertainties. It's uh, a whole nother ball game. Yeah. Is some of that quantum? Is it all uh, really um, in some ways it can't be quantified in some in some cases? It is it, it rides a very fine line. Um there are some aspects that are are in the in the quantum arena, but there's other things that we have through NIST. Um, the the CLIR lab here at PNNL is the um, basically the I think it's the only lab that NavLab has accredited um, for dosimetry near radiation, and so it's. It's based on what NIST has approved. It's not like we can go and get our our testing. You know, we we do PTs and um, interlab comparisons with other labs on dosimetry. But it, I mean, who do we go to other than NIST? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, some disciplines, yeah. and you get into the weeds on, you know, that those really rare metrology instances. Yeah, there's like two or three experts in the world. That can that can help you with yeah. that. Uh, when we're as we're um, developing more of our RF and microwave, since you brought it up, you know, trying to find those people that are up to date with the most current, um, you know, the contributors and everything, and doing the uncertainty budgets for like those VNAs and stuff. Like it's hard to find. It's it's very select places, and some places want it to be behind their paywall. You know, it's, so it's it's hard sometimes to get uh, that top top line knowledge. You know. Right, and and so many things are specific. I think about, for example, mobile devices. You know, you know, mobile telephones or whatever you want to call that whole (laughs) communications. Yeah, you have, you know, five G is going to have a whole set of different issues than perhaps a you know a Raytheon missile systems or you know a Boeing. They're both dealing with RF microwave, but it's going to be their focus is going to be in different aspects of of those fields. That's a good point. Yeah, I know that to a certain um, uh, segment of the population, metrology is CMMs, and you know the the dimensional metrology. That's what people think about is like the um, what is that GD. 
general dimensional. I, I can't think it, off yeah. the top of my head, you know, G, D, and E, G, D, and E. Is that right? Yeah, G, D, and E. Yep. I should have yep. wrote that down somewhere. But, uh, you know, like that is a no, whole yeah. a whole part of everything that uh, not not a lot of third party Cal Labs because now I've I've had a chance to to you know broaden my horizons and see pretty much across the country and I noticed now that a lot of those things are separate types of labs and same same with uh, instrumentation you know it's basically calibration same same standards in a lot of cases but different applications exactly I mean it used to be when you think of um, physical dimensional calibrations you're thinking of calipers and micrometers right. and gauge blocks and yeah right and now you're talking lasers and i mean types of you know ferro measuring arms and things that you you're not going to have the same capability or depth of knowledge in your lab unless you send someone to a like a specific or specialized school you're not going to find you're not going to be able to take someone that's just been you know calibrating hand tools with gauge blocks <laughs> and 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 just throw them on a, a CMM or a, a vision machine or something like that yeah well and you know that brings up a perfect transition into a question I had to, for you today you know talking about those things and you know we had our talking points that we wanted to make sure to hit but uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to that, what we're talking about right there, you know, the knowledge needing to get out there. How, how, at, from a third party Calab perspective, let's, let's make sure we clarify where we're coming from because um, you have great experience in that as well. Uh, and that's a, in fact where I met you is when you were at a third party Calab. What are the specific Correct. challenges for, and I have my own opinions, but for third party Calabs, what is the challenge of getting them training? Or getting them to training. I, sometimes I don't even think that's possible for a lot of labs is getting them to training. So sometimes how do you get them training? That's a good question, Ryan. It is a challenge because third-party labs especially are are trying to make <laughs> make a dollar mm-hmm. on on every on every item that they calibrate and so to take an, a technician off the bench to to devote to training um is a it's a considerable expense um what i have found especially like for example when i was with grand rapids metrology they put a very high um, value on training technicians that was one of the top level um divisions and goals that they had is is maintaining a very qualified technical force um and as a smaller lab they could do that not all labs have that um flexibility right or opportunity Uh (laughs) but um but finding training um that they can do online that they can do on their own time to put them at a an advantage over maybe another technician or to give them the skills that they need so they can move from one discipline to another. Um, Having that is imperative. I mean, it used to be that we just had uh, like workplace training, Mm -hmm. which is now A2LA workplace training. And it used to be a few um, NPL courses that you could sign up for if you were um, able to, to, you know, to afford that or whatever. Sure. And, and now of course, 
your own school is a, a tremendous asset to the metrology industry because we have so much more at our fingertips. And of course you have community college. Uh, before I, when I was in my delayed entry, I went in, uh, went to a community college and took basic electronics, you know, like, oh, I'm gonna do that in the Marine Corps. I might as well <laughs> get a jump start on it. Oh, and yeah. it did help. But um, a lot of community colleges are offering some type of skill set that will transfer over into metrology. Yeah, like, like electronic, it, electronics classes and stuff like that. Correct. Or um, a lot of the instrumentation and controls. Um, right, right. Where here I'm at, there's there's technical colleges that that offer some type of, you know, hand tools or other basic entry level training that could be used as, you know, as a intro into like maybe mechanical engineering engineering so what are some the other, other uh, oh, oh i'm so sorry <laughs> no you're fine <laughs> the, the, the other thing that i i have found that has been immensely helpful is just the on-the-job training with um, senior technicians to, to junior technicians a lot of us that started our careers in the, in the military we have a different perspective for metrology than someone coming just out of a tech school because we're looking at things maybe from a theory of operations basis or understanding the principles and the concepts versus understanding how to utilize a piece of equipment. So it's sort of the difference between OEM training and you know, sort of like classroom training. Right. Class, classroom training is going to go into a lot more of the why behind what you're doing, whereas an OEM is going to come in and to show you how to use their equipment and what all those capabilities are. And both are good, but they're slightly different. Right. If you don't mind, do you, because you have that direct experience and being all in all these different labs and and you know the vast history of the mentoring that we go through in both military, but then it sounds like you went through a lot of really good labs over time. Um, mm -hmm. On what are some of those benefits and what have you seen um, the benefits being? Because I, I feel like, what's the best way to articulate it? A lot of labs might wa want immediate results or like, hey, we'll just decrease this uh, backlog by this much or whatever. I think it's a, a, a longer term, but more important transition from getting people away from depending upon you know, uh, always relying upon uh, asking that manager for help and being able to know knowledge on their on their own to be able to solve problems is is that along the lines of what you've noticed over time? But like, what are some of the benefits that you notice in your labs that you've been in charge of? Well, there's two distinct camps in my opinion. You've got the teachable and the unteachable. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, um, and and typically, you'll find out pretty soon who's unteachable. They 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 just want to know what they need to know to get a calibration done or to get a job done. And they're not interested in any of your historical information or background on to why you should exercise this instrument before, you know, starting your calibration. You know, there are people that just 
they just came they they are there to do a job mm-hmm. from a to b um and then you have those that are teachable and and i find that those are the ones that i i tend to, to gravitate towards that you know when when they a- ask a question and you explain it and you go into a little more detail and they're like no i want to know more those are the ones that i typically um will seek out and 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 try to just encourage and um feed <laughs> if you will just feed information and so whether it's for um like an NCSLI recommended practice, you know, encourage them to read more information on that or, or, or direct them towards an ASQ course or something that will allow them to learn a little bit more about the industry. Or, I mean, Meditoyo, uh, the, uh, Thunder Scientific, a lot of the manufacturers have great information on on different aspects of metrology that are that go well into theory and well into um, the nuances of, of taking a measurement. So there's so many things out there, and not everybody. It's not going to be for everybody, but those that that are willing to to learn, I usually give them <laughs> information overload. No, I try to parse it out, but sure. <laughs> I really try to. I really try to encourage encourage those those that are interested because that's that's what's going to make the next generation of good competent technicians. Oh yeah, a key site comes to mind as well. We were just teaching uh, creating oh, yes. our, our RF and microwave and we tell them in our course like keep up with the white papers that they put out and all that stuff because uh, those they're they're engineering, they're designing, they're they're right at that brink, you know, and so to some ways to keep up to date just like you're saying is is from the people that are out there with their interest in in creating these things and and that's absolutely right you know i i, I think it's keysight that has an amazing white paper on Bizwar, and it's like it's it's like a staple you know it's yeah. <laughs> you create your libraries and as you go you know and things do change and technology has changed quite a bit you know since the 80s and i mean in fact that's part of the reason we're in the situation we're in now mm-hmm. um it used to be that the military was you know not necessarily the, the top of the line but they were getting some of the latest and greatest test equipment coming out right <laughs> and training people to it right and now the test equipment is i mean the, the test equipment is, is maybe a one-to-one with most of the um equipment out there mm-hmm. the lab equipment so you're finding you're finding i mean even for example balances right <laughs> at some point the, the balances are going to be better than the, than the weights that we have to put on i know it's you're getting down to a point where you have to say okay this is as good as it's going to get, and now we need to train people to to really calculate how to determine the uncertainties. <laughs> yeah, what a time because, to try and catch up, right? It's when we're already <laughs> behind the curve. Um, for example, right now dealing with a lot of DOE and um, 
and NQA one or NRC regulated, um, you know, work and and equipment, they're still using a lot of the four to one ratios, which is fine, and it's written into their program and is probably not going to change in the next ten to twenty or thirty even years. However, what we're having to explain to a lot of purchasers and and even lab managers or um, researchers is that you're not going to get a four to one TAR (laughs) when your equipment is much better than any existing standard out there. Your, your equipment is the standard. Um, So yeah, we've, we've come a long way as they say. Yeah. It, it, and it's, it is, it's a frustrating thing to watch because, you know, obviously we came into the, the picture in 2019, September of 2019. So right before the pandemic pandemic hits. And uh, I know for a fact, we were already um, in a pretty deep hole before the pandemic. So this wasn't something pandemic caused, maybe exacerbated, you know, but really this was already on its way. And it's because of the, the, you know, that uh, we, we really had, I mean, for a long time, we were dependent upon people coming out of the military trained. The military doesn't care about that supply the the civilian side thing they're creating people based upon budget need and um you know the the platforms that need to go get deployed you know and so right when it comes down to it they cut down the school because the military doesn't need as many calibrators and we were overstaffed i'll be the first to say at least by the time i was in and i i ran quite a few labs and uh we would have a ton of people just that 50, 60 people in a, in Camp Pendleton lab, you know, and, and we just didn't have the workload to support that. And so the bean counters, as they call them, are going to cut down on that over time. And then it starts to affect the civilian world as we're, as we're stating now. Oh, oh in a ahead. huge way. Yeah. Now, when you're talking no, about it, mentoring the, the next generation, um, one of the biggest things that I've been shouting, and I think you're the only one that's uh, echoing echoing me outside of sign is that we have to promote metrology you know all these great ideas of schools and training programs are fine but if the seats go empty we're right at the same point that we are and i think the biggest problem we have as a whole in the industry and as as metrology or calibration however you want to whatever you want to call it or name it is that no one knows about mm-hmm. it <laughs> no one knows right Honestly, Ryan, it's been in my um, in my foresight, I guess, if you want to call it that, on my vision for a long time, that we really need to unite more of the metrology individuals across not just industries, but across um, organizations. And right. I know that like NCLSI works with ASQ and and other other platforms are sort of joining together, but really the people that are using and needing calibration or metrology services are not the metrologists. Right. It's the project managers, it's the contract purchasers, it's the ones that are being told, hey, I need this to do XYZ go find it for me and really to 
to start having an impact and letting people know the value that we have and the importance of the services that we provide and the importance of having good qualified trained technicians in those um, positions it is really going to be a marketing yeah <laughs> um it, it, you know a marketing objective somewhere i mean somebody's going to have to and i know i know a lot of these organizations are asme um sae there's so many you know the mechanical engineering electrical engineering all of the um, international organizations iso all of the quality organizations they all see the value of it mm-hmm. and it's just like i, I don't know I, I as a as an individual i'm like can we all just get together and make one <laughs> one big appeal to the masses for putting value back into um, measurement science <laughs> right i don't know if that i don't know if that's doable but well, you know, that's my vision. It's the same thing as we're, I've been talking about this YouTube project that we're doing forever, but uh, we've got so many things that we're working on, but it's, it's uh, almost ready, ready to, to, to launch. And as we're editing it, we're putting it together. Do you know, what's one of the, the main things that we are like, you know what, this is going to affect more so than anything is people might start to say, Hey, you know, that's what we need. You know, we were listing this job listing you know we need a metrologist you know i i think there's a ton of jobs out there especially i'm very aware of job listings i look across the country you know and i'm always looking for different uh things that mention calibration or you know the keywords i put in and they always have the funniest names right they there's not even a, a standard listing for a calibration technician and so right. you know when you go and you look through all of these some of them you know they might be a um a line i can't even think of a one of the the weird namings of them but you know something where they're they're managing process instrument instrument and controls technician um quality uh, quality assurance reviewer i've seen everything under the sun right. besides calibration technician electrician um the technician that we currently have in our lab is their actual title is electrician. Now, there's a lot of specialty training going through <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to get them up to where we need them, but because of either union or, or bargaining unit um, yeah. influences and, and requirements. But yeah, there's, uh, what is the other one? Process controls. Yeah, yeah. Pro- process, process controls. controls. That's what I was going for, yeah. Yeah, process controls. It's like, and, and those are important and those are, they are actually vitally important to the new metrology. Oh yeah. Because it used to be, it used to be that it was totally separate. Your process controls person say they don't, didn't really overlap. The process controls did the controls part and then the calibration part was separate. Well, now it's, it's intermingled to where you really need to have someone that's able to do process control work as well as metrology or calibration and validation like they'll call it validation mm-hmm. or or those engineers yeah. that you're talking about they'll um, have us come in and, and calibrate their line and it's like this is the validation i'm doing and you're like this is the same as what i'm going to do just not 500 times <laughs> exactly <laughs> instead yeah doing it once with with um traceable standards versus 500 times with uh, 
something they got off eBay. No. Yeah. <laughs> or the, a Hydra, you know, that they'll just hook up in there and put a bunch of leads everywhere. You know, they have their own validation methods, but it is funny how often they'll kind of line up. And uh, uh, over time, some of these biomedical manufacturers would reach out to me because I was the on-site, uh, one of the on-site coordinators and uh, uh, have me come out to just say, Hey, how would you, how would you calibrate this? And it's like, Oh, I see what you need. You need help validating this. And it's like, well, yeah. Can you give us some ideas of how you would test it? Especially like the distance over time. Have you seen things that like dip stuff, you know, and they have to, you know, right. how do you time it? And, you know, I've seen the craziest stuff where they're putting up rulers and, and using stopwatches on these, you know, uh, one millimeter per second type stuff. And it's like, you are, you are not getting that accurate. You know? Exactly. Um, I know, I, I know the pain that you must've felt when you, <laughs> when you saw that. But it's fun. It's so fun to me, at least I find it so much. It, it fun. is fun. And as long as you know, and in all honesty, as long as, the people are aware of the risks they're taking with accepting that. And that's their acceptance criteria from, from a programmatic perspective, that's probably a okay. Mm -hmm. It's, it's simply knowing what you're measuring and what your risks are with that measurement and the uncertainties obviously have to be considered, but yeah, the stopwatch itself, the uncertainty on that. And then the, the thumb yeah the eye and the thumb your thumb (laughs) well you know and i would always say i was a football coach you know but but seriously that's uh that is something i mean it's it's something that not everybody can do reliably and repeatedly that's for sure that's true i guess if you were a horse trainer you probably have a better stopwatch handle than uh (laughs) there you go than someone who came out of the mail room. Now you had a note um, on the notes you sent me. You had one that really sparked my interest. And uh, when it comes to what we were talking about with basically fostering and mentoring and, and bringing along this next generation, especially if I'm successful in getting people in high school um, interested in this through the YouTube type stuff, the TikTok type stuff, uh, you, you put in there not just connecting, but getting past the fear. And that really caught my my attention and and do you mind going into what you mean by that getting past the fear oh no not at all yeah what i've especially working with you know some really (laughs) real legacies in in this field like smitty um jim smith and and others you know john harvin um one of the things that i've seen in in Mentoring the next generation, it's going to take not just finding the people, how do we connect, but it's going to take both the mentee and the mentor getting past the fear, the fear of of saying something wrong or not being as knowledgeable as they, as your mentee may think you should be, or the mentee not wanting to seem ignorant. I mean, really, there's fear on both sides. And I think as as long as you understand that going into a, a mentor-mentee relationship, say, I'm going to help you become the best technician you can or the best metrologist that you can. Um, here are my limitations. We'll, we'll 
we'll work through them. Um, both parties are going to grow. Both parties are going to learn. But really, I think acknowledging that fear. I don't know how many times I've gone to conferences or just had one-on-one conversations with people and and found out that oh, they felt intimidated or they did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not. Am I intimidating? I'm not intimidating at all. Um, or I thought about it. Thought, oh well, I. I didn't want to ask that question because I didn't want to seem like I didn't know, you know, what, what should have been obvious or, or some, something to that effect. So really, I guess getting past that fear, that's what I was talking about is there's got to be transparency and just an open, um, I, I highly recommend that if you are going and interested in being mentored or being a mentee that you, um, or mentor that you, you know, have have a, a written agreement saying that there's no wrong answers, there's no wrong questions, you know. Yeah. This is not an indicator. I don't know. Just having something to go on so that you can set goals and and have it measurable, which we, we all love, you know, that part of it, measurable oh, right, results right. where you, where you, where, where you say, okay, I'm working with this person and I hope to end up, you know, at the end of, at at the end of six months, I want to have X number of goals, you know, met. I want to learn more about, I don't know, pH. I want to learn more about zero oxide. I want to learn more about um, height gauges. Sure. Whatever. And so, yeah, setting setting distinct goals, and then, uh, like I said, to get past the fear, I think really it's just a matter of of recognizing that it's there. And if, I mean, I mean, I'm sure some people don't have that, but I, I, I it's just my, over 37 years, this is what I've observed. Oh, <laughs> so a I, lot of people have intimidate or intimidated or feel, um, you know, some some anxiety over sharing what they do or don't know or vice versa. Yeah. I'm so glad you said it uh, and put it that way because I've noticed the same thing. And obviously I threw my fear out the window, <laughs> putting myself out there with the school, <laughs> but I've been very clear on the podcast that, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm helping bring people out of that fear too. Cause I've said, I didn't know temperature coming out of the service very well, you know, cause I knew, t- I knew thermocouples. I knew some, cause we did that stuff for um, some, some of the NATO equipment that I've seen over time. That's about it. You know, right. uh, same with force until I met Henry Zumbrun. I, I, mm-hmm. I was using threaded rod just like everybody else, you know, in certain, in certain, certain circumstances. It's one of those things that um, I've, I've hopefully opened the door for some people to realize that you, you don't know as much as you think, you know, and it's better to find out what you don't know and, and improve yourself. Um, one other thing I wanted to say on what you said is I, I love what you're talking about with getting um, a mentorship program set up and, and having a mentor-mentee relationship. And I, tr- I, I want people to think of with all this hiring that's going on and, and this big changeover, I am noticing labs getting caught up in that changeover and not bringing technicians along and then they're losing those technicians again, you know, new ones coming in and they're losing them, you know, make sure that you give them very clear stuff, not just, Hey, you're going to get a week of OJT with our manager and then you're on your own. 
you know, because that's what I'm seeing a lot of is you're on your own after this set period of training. And then, you know, you got to figure it out on your own. I agree. And I think the, the training that you guys are providing is, it's so needed. It's fundamental, it's foundational, and it's only going to grow as you guys expand, it's going to expand. I think it's a great opportunity for employers to get people back to the basics and understand what they need, what the technicians need to know, because honestly, most hiring managers don't, managers don't know what their technicians need to know. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. A hundred percent. We have, we have knowledge gaps on all ends. I mean, I think we agree on that. Oh, yes. I, one of my, one of my, I shouldn't say big frustrations, but a frustration is getting asked questions. I get currently I get asked as the um, metrology subject matter expert. I get asked, can you calibrate a pressure transmitter? And of course, my answer is, of course, we can calibrate a pressure transmitter. I said, but before I give you a quote or an estimate or you know, I, I need to, I need to know a little more information, mm-hmm. make the manufacturer, the parameters that, that it's going to be used with it, the, the functionality um, that it's going to be operating within. And as you well know, Ryan, there are all kinds of different pressure transmitters oh, yeah. <laughs> for all different types of applications. And inevitably you'll, you'll, you'll get a, a request for some some calibration service and it's like wait a minute that's not just a pressure transmitter i mean it might be a a micro switch you know put into a a, a location that you can only access it you know hanging upside down by uh you know a ladder <laughs> in, a, in a clean room or you know what i'm saying it's yeah. like I'm a little exaggeration there but i uh one of the well, i'll never forget this one of the places I was able to um, experience was inside of a food processing area and in there where they did their um, chemical mixing Mm -hmm. and they wanted us to test a a pH meter. Well, everybody can calibrate a pH meter. I mean, it's, you know, well, this was hardwired into a stainless steel piping literally about a foot from the ceiling. Oh, wow. And it was an embedded one. And I'm like, I did not bring the right tools. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're looking at this and I'm like, okay, no, we got to figure out how we're going to do this. Um, you, you know, and we figured a way out, but it's, again, what, what, what looked like a, you know, when, when it was quoted, you know, like a, a half an hour job. Yeah. All of a sudden became a process. Um, yeah, lots of fun things like that. And that's, that's one of the things that keeps the job and the, and the career interesting is you never run out of something new. There's always something new that you get to experience in this field. People always think I'm crazy when I highly recommend, at least for a while in your career doing onsite in, in commercial Cal, it's so fascinating and you get to see so much stuff. Yeah. And, and now working as, um, or in the role as operational vice president for um, the industrial programs for NCSI, I'm finding it 
is so much fun because between aerospace and automotive and healthcare, <laughs> legal metrology, there's mm-hmm. just such a plethora of different experiences and uh, not just the physical work itself, but the people and the the standards and the regulations that go behind the work that's being done. It's just, yeah, you'll never get bored if you go into a career in metrology. I know. One of the things I would love to see is is more um, organizations giving back to those employees that are taking that extra initiative. And because I think it's hard, you train someone and then they leave, (laughs) they go somewhere else, you know, so, so there's, I guess, a, a business case to be made for how do we avoid that from happening? So how do you retain the people once you've got them trained? Did you ever notice, um, um, like maybe there's a possibility and I haven't experimented with this. I, I thought of this after I was working in a lab, so I didn't get to put this to practice. But like if people have, um, you know, odd schedules or they want to, or there's people that have different scheduling needs. I I know there was a ton of manufacturers that would have loved if I would have come from five o'clock to nine o'clock at night. You know, I think there's room in some of these third parties to, you know, if people have odd schedules, embrace that because you're, I bet your, your, um, your customers might like that in some cases. I would agree. I would definitely agree with that because when I worked for Motorola, little known fact, I was able to work um, a a third shift (laughs) because at the time um, I was a single mom at that time and I needed, (laughs) I was homeschooling. (laughs) Not to to share my sob story, but you know, I was a homeschooling single mom um, with a full-time job. And so I was able to, I had childcare during the day um, or rather at night, but right. not during the day. So right, I yeah. stayed, I stayed home during the day and I worked at night and we made it work. Um, it wasn't necessarily for everybody, but it worked for me. And, and it was definitely uh, a benefit to the lab because we got a lot more production done because I was able to use the same equipment that someone else was using during the day. You know, your multi purpose calibrator could be used basically be running instead of just eight hours a day, be running 16 hours a day. Yes. That's a good point too. A lot of, a lot of investments can run longer that way. One of the other things that I've been mentioning is there's been this uh, focus on, on wages and stuff. And and I mean, we don't have to get into super specifics about areas and all that stuff. Cause obviously there, you got the West coast, you know, or California, that's going to be astronomical compared to other places. But in general, I mean, don't you feel like in, in some ways to, to bridge the gap with this employment issue that labs, eventually Cal services are going to be a little bit more expensive. Like those are going to have to rise. The, 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 uh, if we're going to be skilled trade, uh, you know, skilled trade, tradesmen and women won't our, you know, that starting wage have to raise. I mean, what do you think about that stuff? I think it's going to have to. And, and, and I think in some areas it has. But I think it's going to have to be raised across the board. But I think in order to do that, we're going to have to get the general population. We're going to have to get those that are are using calibration services that need calibration services to understand that you're not going to get you're not going to get a calibration for you know eight dollars, right? <laughs> you know, 
you know, the, the, the time it takes to do, I mean, there's obviously value in having a greater quantity, but I mean, the days of being able to calibrate uh, a DMM, you know, for 40, 40 bucks is, is probably not going to be around for much longer. Right. And I, I just don't foresee the labs that are trying to still to this day, by the way, because I, I like I said, I look everywhere. There's still some trying to slip in $15 an hour jobs with experience. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to take an overhaul. Yeah. When the people down at the burger joint are making more than our technicians that doesn't say a whole lot for the quality of service that we're providing. Yeah. Well, it would worry me that um, those people would start, you know, the people doing those measurements would start or maybe not even begin caring about the measurements. I think we that's kind of the the theme there is like a lot of what we've talked about is a, a lot of the um, the best technicians, the ones that you and I gravitate to for, hey, let's mentor this person. Let's bring them along. It's the people that care and end up loving the field but i think that first uh, exposure is very important i'm like like we've been saying yeah definitely getting them trained up right is is a big part of it and then keeping them retaining them is the next part yeah now we we have probably about 10 minutes left and if you're okay with it i, I at the very end i wanted to throw in some stuff about ncsli um just because you're actively involved in there and uh, I didn't. E- I didn't even know. Um, I did, this is another thing I've mentioned over over the the last couple of years on this show is that I didn't know what NCSLI was. I didn't know what MSC was coming out of the military. Just never heard of them. And so I was surprised mm-hmm. when I was at the conference this year and heard that you were um, up for the the president of NCSLI. I didn't even know that was a thing that that was voted on. So can you tell me more about that stuff? Oh, so actually, I don't think I'm up for president. I think I'm I'm being renominated for vice president of um, industry or industrial programs, uh, which is an operational vice president position. And they're all nonprofit. I mean, it's they're all volunteer positions. Sure. Um, It's it's an uh, an opportunity to really give back to the community that 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 I love. And I know that many others, they feel the same way. You know, once you've, once you've been bitten by the metrology bug, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to just walk away. Um, and so NCLSI, the National Conference for Standards Laboratories International, um, is basically all about supporting the membership. And it is a membership-based organization mm-hmm. that, that exists to help, um, better the measurements in, you know, you go to the website, NCLSI.org. Um, but basically it's all about making better measurements and expanding the, the training, the knowledge, the information, sharing it across, not just, for example, in my, um, section sector, you know, it's all the different industrial programs. Mm -hmm. So we want to share information. So we use subject matter experts like Henry Zembrum, Morehouse and Keysight and Meditoyo. And we try to promote as much information as we can throughout the membership. We also spend a lot of time um, working and um, developing recommended practices. RPs. Right. 
RPs, recommended practices, laboratory management guides, so that labs that maybe don't have the robust um, uh, depth, I guess, of a big major corporation, a small lab, can still figure out the best practices for setting up their calibration procedures, for setting up their their environmental chambers, whatever the, the case is, whatever their um, their needs are, hopefully there is a, a some type of laboratory management guide or recommended practices out there available for them. Um, and then we have working groups and we have committees. Um, we have committee meetings coming up this next week and the week after for different programs. So if, if anyone's interested in learning more about it, that's a great opportunity because anybody can participate in the committee meetings. And we just have dialogue. A lot of times it's just a matter of saying that, you know, or sharing, again, that transparency, sharing that, hey, we're running into um, X, Y, Z. We're running into this challenge, this hurdle, whether, you know, at different times it's been supply chain issues. Other times it's been, how do we find a um, calibration provider that can give us the accuracy that we need? Right. When I think about that, I think I think about some of the um, light measurements. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a whole can there, of worms. I know. And, <laughs> and there's just so there's different there's different um, nuances in it. And, and other times it's just a great opportunity to network and you and you don't know what you don't know until you. Till you run into someone and they and they bring something up and you thought I haven't thought about that. So um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I you highly did. recommend being I, I highly recommend getting involved in 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 a, an external organization that will help you further, not just your career, but your own um, understanding and and knowledge of of what we're doing. What, what do you think of um, how I've been trying to to turn looking at MSC and NCSLI as a metrology vacation where you can, you know, it's, there's a lot of fun, but there's nothing wrong with that, you know, from a, an employer and management aspect. You know, because I see a lot of managers there, but I think people, you yeah. know, if we're talking about getting past the fear, get past the fear of sending your good technician to these conferences, it's right? Just, yes, yes. I, I am absolutely, I'm one of those nerds though, Brian, and anyone that knows me knows this. <laughs> I'm a nerd and I'll go to a conference and oftentimes never even leave you know the hotel or the facility or the event center both. because it's like i want i want to learn as much as i can as well did you see i remember when we were in washington um someone asked me well did you go see any of the monuments i'm like no yeah <laughs> i was either presenting or hosting or 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 sitting in on different um panels and that's what i enjoy um but you do get so much out of it and the only way you're really going to grow the interest in your technicians as if they, if you give them those experiences. Yeah. I shouldn't say the only way, but it, it, it definitely goes a long way. Yeah. And there's, a, there's quite a few labs and I know this isn't a one size fits all either, but there's quite a few places that, um, I mean, you could, you could stand to, or, to hire one extra technician. A lot of places they need that extra half guy or 
even full person and things like that allow allow you to uh, get people off to training like that well you know i think another thing that that we don't take advantage of as as managers and i'm speaking now as like say a program manager for the mt group that i'm in is i want to i i believe i can trust my technicians to go to an event like that and come back with enough information to give a presentation to train someone else to take the lead on 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 something that they've they've learned and and I would hope that other managers would feel that way or that they'd have technicians that are of that quality because that's what we really need and it, it would grow them so much if they come back know, knowing that they're going to take what they've learned or something that they've learned and share it I mean just not to just to give them the spotlight but but basically to encourage them to take the next step, take what they've learned and put it into practice or yeah. teach someone else. Oh yeah. I, and, and the people that I've talked to that, um, you know, are those that they get sent for those purposes and everything, you know, people are talking about retention. That's a strong thing. You know, you're sending someone, it's like you're saying, like you're showing a lot of trust, a lot of confidence in them. And that's the type of stuff that, that, Everybody, I know I gravitate to that when someone believes in me, wants to train me further, you know, that's the type of thing that, that we're talking about to, to foster that next generation. Right. Yeah. I know even when we were in Orlando, it's like, I didn't go to Disney world. (laughs) No, I was there for a purpose and, and I enjoyed every minute of it and no regrets. (laughs) Yeah. I started doing the lab visits, um, this last NCSLI, I got in about four of them that will hopefully be in this, uh, um, over the series of, of YouTube and everything. But, uh, Mm -hmm. that, that is also another thing you talk about the camaraderie. And I remember for the first half of my career, we had something called the Calabash. I don't know if they had that when you were, when you were in, did they have the Calabash? Doesn't sound familiar. So, um, somewhere along the way they started doing where I, once a year, um, everybody in the, the general area came together, like the Yuma, um, Miramar, the Miramar labs, cause there's three or four on Miramar, uh, Pendleton, they would all come together and, you know, uh, play violent soccer and all that stuff is Marine. So, you know, we're all violent, but you know, you play that violent soccer, but then you also get that chance to eat and, you know, the camaraderie part, you know, I started to under- come around on the idea of a conference because I think I'm, I'm also of that uh, generation that's like a conference, you know, and, and kind of like what you're talking about, the intimidation of it. I mean, it's a very, mm-hmm. these conferences are in some ways designed to be a little bit intimidating to someone that's new to it and maybe doesn't feel as, as smart in, in amongst that group. You know, it's an intimidating group if, if you're brand new yeah. or, you're just getting your feet wet in metrology or even someone that's been around for 12 to 13 years. But like we've been saying all this time, maybe not the exposure that others have had. And yet it is intimidating, but I think you just have to, you just got to take the plunge. Right. Um, but I think that right. could be, those events could be that, that camaraderie that you're talking about where everybody kind of comes together and, and unites for a purpose. But uh, yeah, we got a ways to go, I think. Yeah. I would really, one of the things that I took advantage of when they were um, happening was the regional meetings for NCLSI. Mm-hmm. And um, 
unfortunately, we just haven't been having them. And hopefully that will change in the near future now, especially coming out of COVID and everything. But the regional meetings are another great um, tool to not just network, but to bring in, you can invite to a regional meeting your manufacturers. You can invite your college students. You can invite your lab managers uh, from other, you know, internal lab managers from other industries. And, you know, I know that the OEMs love to have an opportunity to present their and showcase, you know, what their um, what their products are, what their latest and greatest is, yeah. um, and then and and or just to have an opportunity to meet the the people that are actually the distributors for for those products. For example, Fluke, you know, you, you know, everything's done through distributors now. But it's not just about about the the selling of it; it's about the connections. Yes. So, yeah. I especially saw that in Michigan. In Michigan, it's like so many different industries um food manufacturing automotive um just industrial manufacturing yeah oh yeah it just well that's the thing is it's different everywhere you know because um i've started to do some polling and and surveys even though those are boring but in the different areas just to see you know what what the interests Mm -hmm. are and and yeah you're right like up in that area is a lot heavier in the dimensional side than, than maybe Southern California. Correct. Yeah. Whereas in Southern California, you've got more RF, Mm -hmm. microwave, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) flow, um, all those. Yeah. Yeah. It's complex. It is complex, but it's exciting and it's fun and we need more ambassadors out there like yourself. I appreciate it. We're trying. Oop! Did I, I? I almost thought I shut us off. <laughs> I, I accidentally hit a button. No. Yes, I, I, I appreciate that. And and uh, yeah, what, you know, when it comes to the regional meetings, those are something good to be a part of. And, and you know, one thing I noticed about the NCSLI regional meetings compared to other, um, um, like when I would have to do, I'm trying to remember what I had to go around for. Um, oh, for the. You know, if you're going around uh, in your area that doesn't have NCSLI ones, maybe you're, um, to keep up with like the CCT or whatever, I we had to go around with supply uh, gurus, ASQ supply people to their um, right. monthly and, and quarterly meetings. They just did not apply to us, you know, at all. And it was right. cool. Right. It was so cool to see the different places that we would go and take tours of. But it was basically mm-hmm. useless to us. Where um, the NCSLI, when we we hosted a couple of those, that was like, oh, hey, calibrators, yes, you know, like hey, people yes. that, that are doing things for that. So uh, we also support those. I don't want I don't want to promote that too heavy though. We're we've been extremely busy, but uh, down the road, quarterly ones that come up, um, we can give presentations as well. So uh, just throwing yeah. that out there for people. So to to close things up, you've you mentioned that you have worked in all the different industries. What, what is your favorite? What's your favorite metrology industry to work in? Um, and not to hurt anyone's feelings if it's not in the current industry you're in. <laughs> I was just going to say, that is hard. That's like asking me, where where's my favorite place to live? Um, mm. Oh, my goodness. Honestly, I don't know that I have a favorite discipline. 
as much as I have projects. And for me, the favorite project is the one where I get to help solve problems. So whether that's a, a flow issue or if that is an electrical or electronic, you know, um, I like solving puzzles. And so I translate that into my job. And I like being called in when things things just aren't going right or they can't figure out why they're not getting the measurement that they and I love to troubleshoot those types of problems and it doesn't matter if it's pressure or if it's uh you know chemical force I, I, I don't know I but that's what I live for I love being asked to come help solve a problem nice I I love that you say solving puzzles because we've been trying to to kind of pin down some of those qualities of good metrologists, calibrators, and, you know, Tinkerer was one that we came up with. I love puzzle solver. Like it's people that love puzzles. That's totally um, people that get, are good in our, our job field. Yeah. I, I want, I will never forget um, in TMD school being, you know, being taught the whole uh, half splitting, you know, the basics of troubleshooting. Mm, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and going through that and, and realizing that, Oh, it's just like it's just like a math problem. You've got a you've got an equation and you've got an answer. And you just got to figure out how to get you got to figure out how, you know how to make it work in the middle. And and yeah, so solving solving puzzles that's that's what how I uh, uh, I liken what, what yeah, that's what I like in my job. What about the weirdest measurement you've had to make or the weirdest thing you've had to measure? Have you had any any weird ones? I had to measure RTDs next to dead bodies. That's my weird one. That is a weird one. Um, I would say that the probably the weirdest one I ever had to ma measure, without going into uh, anything specific, sure, was sure. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was a measurement for an organization or you know for a um a company that was manufacturing a product and so they had built their own custom requirements so it wasn't like you were measuring it to i mean they were like the oem right so the oem designs and inspects it so it was spec to them so some of their specs included some very unusual you know from this hash mark to there, it should be approximately, you know, that, that yeah. type of thing. Oh, wow. So that was probably because when, especially when I think about what it's being used in, yeah, it's just like, my mind is just like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. But as long as it's done to their specs, but it's, it's the, the handwritten specs that, yeah, the things that you can't talk about. Yeah. But <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, yeah, that's probably the most interesting. And but some of the fun things I have done, I mean, going in and and doing um, pressure pressure measurements in ice cream vats, I mean things like that. Those are always fun. Oh yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know where where you get to smell the aroma of of you know cherries and and dark chocolate <laughs> as you're as you're doing your measurements all day long. Um, those are always fun. Have you been to Morehouse? No, I haven't. 
Oh, you got to go there. It, 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 it reminds me of that where they, their location is literally next door to a cookie factory. So when I get there, I'm like, oh, it smells amazing. And, and you know, Henry's like, yeah, <laughs> be here for a few years and you'll, you'll change your mind on that. But, <laughs> but I, I agree with you though, because I, I did uh, some calibrations for the place that made uh, regionally the food for 7 Eleven. So it was really interesting to see that large scale food production. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Um, lots of, yeah, lots of really bizarre stuff. But we didn't even get into STEM because, you know, you've done a lot of stuff no. with STEM as well. Yes. I uh, have. And we need to do a STEM company. Special. Ooh, we should. We should. We should. I, you know what I'd love to, to see you do is one on the um, upcoming measurement challenges dealing oh. with like. The, I mean, the new illumination standards, battery storage for large battery storage, you know, and uh, yeah. It, it, some, now, I noticed you wrote about some of those. Is that something you would yep, like to come are, back on and talk about or, or is there other people? No, too? I want I want to learn more about them. These are these are areas where I'm seeing that, hey, we've got a whole new um, what used to be just assumed as for testing or research mm -hmm. now now they're they're wanting validation they're wanting the measurement science to back it up wow illumination and, yeah and so there's well, just think about all of the different things and you know um reflection and measuring that and measure i mean just so many things um yeah, chemical metrology used to be that we used to have a chemical metrology um, committee, and it sort of got absorbed by the healthcare committee. Well, now as I'm learning in my new role, that there is a whole lot of chemical metrology that's going on. That again, going back to everything in quantum, the quantum physics and quantum compute computing, and and then the the amount of work that's being done in the in the chemistry side of things it's just like phenomenal and how do they measure how do they know how to measure that how do they know that their that their equipment is is valid when the amount of currently money, we've i mean the the companies behind this stuff that is researching all of them i mean there's a ton so of money it's, it's it's incredible and and currently, right now, from what I have observed, is everybody's relying on these OEMs to, you know, they do the the validation of the equipment, and then they they just use a like a check standard. Right. So, hmm. at at some point, at some point, somebody's going to wake up and say, "Hey, we." <laughs> when it's too late is when they'll wake up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, I would so love you, to be back on. I'm sorry I wasn't as prepared today as as I had hoped to be with oh, my travels, but Danae, it's I been think, great. I think everyone will agree. Fantastic episode. Um, so you heard it there. Any of you out there that are uh, aware or that can help us bring to light some of the, oh, how about that for a pun? Bring to light for the illumination, battery storage, acoustical, chemical metrology, any, any others out there? I would still like to hear more about too. Um, I'm very interested in the um, in the laser measurements. You know, oh, yeah. the Faro. I don't know if you've had anyone on for that, and that usually falls into that physical dimensional or mm -hmm. GDE. But 
Yeah, that's a good idea. There's so much cro- there's so much crossover. I don't know why it hasn't merged already, but <laughs> just someone has to figure it out and make that crossover, and then it happens. That's what I found out of it. I mean, our industry really is ready for people to make a difference. You know, if you have ideas, no one's really going to stop you as long as it's not breaking any rules. Well, Danae, it's well, been thank a you, pleasure, Ryan. and and we will chat with you again. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening.